So as we carry on our sermon series today, Faith Over Fear, our title is Triumph in the Fire. In other words, how do we react when life gets really tough? Do we crumble? Do we just about cope? Or when we find ourselves in the fires of life, do we triumph? Our passage today comes from 1 Peter. But before we get into the text, I'd like us to think about who wrote it. This is a letter from Peter, originally called Simon, who was one of the fishermen that Jesus called to be one of his first disciples. This man had been with Jesus from the very start of his ministry. He knew Jesus. He'd seen firsthand the wisdom of this amazing teacher, the power by which he spoke and the miracles that he performed. And early in John's gospel, Jesus renamed Simon Peter, which means rock, because Jesus knew that Peter was the rock upon which the church would be built. Later, when Jesus' followers started to fall away, Jesus gave Peter and the rest of the 12 the opportunity to leave him. But Peter exclaims, Lord, to whom would we go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. We believe them and we know you are the Holy One of God. So in the good times, and even when things started to look a bit tough, Peter was sure that Jesus was the Messiah who would restore Israel. And he was full of faith for the things that God could do. It looked very much like Peter was in it for the long haul. But if we wind forward a little to Jesus's arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, we see a very different Peter. We see a man whose faith was rocked and shattered. We see a man who ran away when things got really tough and who denied even knowing Jesus. I want you to picture Peter at his lowest point. Just after Jesus was crucified and before he was resurrected, Peter was a broken man. He was lacking faith. He was ashamed and he was washed up. All those amazing things he had experienced must have seemed like a dream or even a lie as he went back to his old life as a fisherman. I wouldn't be surprised if he even stopped using the heroic new name that Jesus had given him. After denying Jesus three times and feeling as low as it's possible to get, I doubt he felt much like a firm foundation upon which God would build his church. I'm sure he felt like plain old Simon, son of John, maybe even wishing he'd never met Jesus in the first place. Have you ever felt like Peter? Let down, lacking in faith, as though you'll never measure up, feeling as though your whole faith is a lie? If not, maybe I'm just talking to myself because I certainly have. I've had times when I know I've sinned, when I've let God down, when I've let those around me down, when I question whether even being a follower of Jesus is worth it. Now that's quite hard to say, but it's important that we're honest with each other because I think all of us have something in common with Simon. At one time or another, all of us have returned or been tempted to return to our fishing boats 
filled with shame and disappointment. Now the amazing news for Simon Peter and for us is that something happened that radically changed Simon Peter's view of himself, his view of God, and his view of the world. Something amazing happened that made him realize that those years with Jesus weren't a lie, but a foretaste of an amazing future. Something happened that made Peter reclaim the promises of Jesus, that made him reclaim his faith, and made him reclaim the name that was rightfully his. What happened? Well, you can read about it in John chapter 21. Peter had a deeply personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And from that moment, everything changed. When Peter was at his lowest point, Jesus came to him and he gave him exactly what he needed, acceptance and assurance. And Peter was transformed. Suddenly Peter understood who Jesus is and almost as importantly, who he himself is. Now the amazing news is, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how far we've run, the risen Lord Jesus can restore us. He can restore you in exactly the same way that he restored Peter. Now I want you to think about something. Peter messed up royally. Not just a little bit, he made a complete hash of things. He turned his back on the person that he'd promised to never leave and he'd gone back to his old way of life. But Jesus didn't leave him in his shame. He didn't leave him in his despair. And Jesus didn't expect him to get himself together before they could get their relationship back on track. Jesus came to Simon Peter and Jesus met him on the beach, right where he was. Now, I think this is underlined by Jesus calling him Simon instead of Peter. Jesus used the name Simon used when they first met. Jesus used the name that the broken Simon Peter probably felt fit him much better than the new name that Jesus had given him. In other words, to restore the man to who he was before and beyond, Jesus met plain old Simon right where he was. Dejected, broken, probably feeling more like a pebble than a rock. But after meeting with the risen Lord Jesus and after being filled with the Holy Spirit, Simon Peter was no longer a mere pebble. He was an assured, feisty diamond of immense strength and proportions. He became the Peter that we read about in the book of Acts, the superhero that Jesus predicted. Healing the sick, launching the church, and starting fires that would burn for eternity. Now the good news for you, and the good news for me, is that this same transformation is possible for everyone. No matter how low you feel you've stooped, no matter what you've been through, and what your emotions are, each of us can meet with the risen Lord Jesus and know what Peter knew. A complete restoration of our relationship with God and the firm assurance that we are significant, secure and accepted by God. All this really takes on our part is honesty and humility. God does the rest. 
Just like Peter, Jesus has already come to you to restore you. He's waiting right where you are. You just need to let him. And when you couple that restoration with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, which Peter received at Pentecost, this man was unstoppable. And you will be too. So let's read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. But first, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is rich. We thank you that it instructs us. And we thank you that it transforms us. And I pray that you'd do that for us this morning, Lord, through your word. Amen. So I'm reading from the New International Version. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Peter wrote this letter at a time and a place when the followers of Jesus were being persecuted. They were being punished for their faith. You see, the church was starting to grow and the surrounding cultures just didn't like it. Peter was writing to people who were experiencing not just social exclusion, but also financial hardship because people didn't want to do business with the followers of Jesus. And it didn't stop there. He was writing to people who were under constant threat of arrest, of physical violence, of punishment and imprisonment. Peter himself was eventually killed for his faith. This was not an easy time and place to be a Christian. So Peter wanted to reach out and assure the church that the pain and persecution is worth it and to encourage them not to give up. Now this looms large, the question of suffering, doesn't it? Which Peter raises in verse six. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter acknowledges that suffering that the first century church was experiencing. He didn't diminish the suffering they were experiencing. I think it's probably a good job that Peter wasn't British. He doesn't use any British euphemisms. He doesn't say, for a while it might be less than ideal. He doesn't say, for a while it might be a little bit uncomfortable. No, he says, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's no sugar coating. Peter doesn't downplay the suffering that exists in the world. And he acknowledges that suffering is a source of grief, of real hurt 
And I'm sure that most of us have experienced something of that. I'm sure that most of us have known the grief of loss, the grief of injustice, the grief of betrayal, the grief of loneliness and exclusion, or the grief of a terminal diagnosis. Because in this world, there will be suffering and there will be grief. And that is the whole point of these verses. And I think Peter's history and his experience makes him a worthy person to speak on the subject of suffering, don't you? Peter knows what it's like to feel the grief of loss and betrayal. The grief of a broken spirit and a non-existent faith. He knew what it was like to feel the pressure and to throw in the towel. He knew what it was like to go back to his old way of life. And because of all those experiences, Peter knew how to encourage others not to give up. You see, without Peter's life-changing experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he simply wouldn't have grown into the man of faith that kick-started the church and changed history. Without experiencing loss, without making mistakes, without his shame, without his crippled faith, he couldn't have known restoration on that beach. And that was a restoration that benefited not just him, but men and women and boys and girls down the ages right down to us. I guess what I'm saying is that in faith, all our life experiences, however good, however bad, however ugly, can be taken and used by God for his purposes if we let him. But on top of that, all our experiences can be used by God not just to grow us, but to grow others. So how's 2020 been for you? It's not been an easy year for any of us, has it? How was lockdown for you? Now I must admit, like many, I didn't find lockdown too easy. On the positive side, the members of my immediate family that caught the virus made a full recovery. I know that not everyone can say that. I don't live on my own, so I can never really say that I was lonely. On the negative side, I don't live on my own, so I never really got the opportunity to be lonely. My situation was that I was the only adult at home during the day trying to work, whilst also trying to homeschool a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and an 11-year-old. Now, I heard lots of people remarking how the pace of life slowed during lockdown and how nice it was there was the opportunity to maybe sit and reflect, learn new things, maybe learn a new language or a musical instrument. That certainly wasn't my experience and maybe it wasn't yours either. I found that life suddenly shifted into overdrive. I didn't have time to think, let alone relax. I found that a real drain on my mental, physical and emotional capacity. And to be honest, it was a struggle some days to summon the energy to get out of bed, to get my work done, to keep calm with the kids and even just to keep the house running. Looking back, I can say it really does feel like I was maybe on drugs for those months or, or some sort of zombie. Now, I'm not saying I had a worse time than others. I didn't by any stretch of the imagination. And, and actually, that's not the point, is it? Because it's, it's just foolish to try and compare yourself with other people. 
But whatever our individual situations, it wasn't easy, was it? For many of us, those first few weeks of lockdown were a walk in the park compared with the bereavement, the unemployment and the hardship that many are facing now. So that got me thinking that maybe the situation that Peter was speaking to in his letter shares some similarities with where we are today. As I said, Peter was writing to people who were feeling socially distant, who were experiencing loss and financial hardship. They're things that many in our world and in our family are facing right now. He was writing to people whose faith was culturally unpopular, who were having to deal with opposition because of what they believed. Does any of that sound familiar to you? And Peter's message here is clear. Peter says, don't give up. Whatever form your suffering is taking, don't give up. In Jesus' resurrection, we have a glorious hope that can never perish, spoil or fade. And through faith, we're shielded by God's power. Now, of course, being shielded in this context doesn't mean that we hide at home, shunning contact with others. It also doesn't mean that we won't experience hardship, loss and grief. It means that through faith, the hardship, the loss and the grief that we know will not destroy us because we have the promise of something much greater. That's easy to say, isn't it? It's much harder to live out. But it's possible because of the living hope that we have in the risen Lord Jesus, who Peter personally had that encounter with on that beach. And the only way we can make sure we don't give up is to have our own encounter with him and to keep on encountering him. You see, although, although Peter's beach moment with Jesus was transformative and was a really important stepping stone in his restoration, I'd argue that on its own, it didn't make Peter who he was when he wrote this letter. Peter kept encountering, he kept experiencing Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same needs to be true of us. We need to keep moving forwards in our relationship with Jesus. Yes, we rejoice in what he's done in the past, but we need to keep encountering him on a regular basis. So let's make sure we aren't living off past experiences and Jesus encounters, but instead let's encounter him on a daily basis. Spend time with him in worship and in prayer. Read the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to bring the words to life for you so you can get to know him better. Do you know, I was thinking about it and I wonder if that was part of the reason that I was so exhausted during lockdown. I was so busy doing the things of life and trying to keep all those plates spinning that my time to encounter Jesus just got squeezed out, to be perfectly honest. And of course, that becomes a vicious circle, doesn't it? We need to keep encountering him daily. And that's even more important when it doesn't seem possible because we're busy. Praise God that Jesus is always waiting to restore us. So if you haven't yet got into the routine of a daily encounter with Jesus, whatever that looks like for you, or if you've simply got out of the habit of it, join me in trying to put that right back to the top of your priority list. 
because that's really at the center of our message today. So back to suffering. Now, it's a huge question about why God allows suffering and grief, and we haven't got the time to go into that in detail today. But I know it's a question that many people struggle with, and it can be a real barrier to faith. The Bible tells us that at its heart, suffering and grief exist because we're living in a world which is spoilt, which is broken by sin and man's disobedience. We're living in a world that was once perfect, but has been made imperfect by sin. And until Jesus returns, this world won't be perfect and there will be suffering. But the amazing truth is that God can take the suffering that we're experiencing here and now, and he can use it for our good and for his glory. And that's what Peter means when he goes on from verse six and verse seven. As we read before, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something in this passage that seems at first glance more than a bit uncomfortable. How can a loving God allow the worst kinds of suffering just to prove our faith, just to bring him and maybe us honor? Now, I don't have any easy answers to that question, but I think there are some points in this passage that are really helpful as we wrestle with this subject. The first is that the Bible clearly shows us that even the full extent of grief caused by the very worst things that anyone on earth can experience will seem fleeting when we finally see Jesus face to face. No matter how awful the situation of our earthly life, we need to have faith to see our time here as a blink in eternity. That doesn't mean it isn't important. Of course it is, it's vitally important. But this understanding needs to affect not just our approach to suffering, but our approach to life itself. It needs to affect everything about the way that we live. As I said earlier, this doesn't contradict or diminish the grief that suffering causes now. And it's so important we don't disregard the suffering of others as just a blip. In Romans, Paul calls us to weep with those who weep. And that's exactly how we should be as a family. But the important thing is that we learn to express hope that this passage talks about through our grief. The second is that Peter paints a picture of our grief of being like a refining fire. That's another illustration that doesn't diminish the grief and the pain caused by suffering. A fiery furnace is a terrifying and a destructive thing, but it's also something that can be used for good. In the same way that a furnace can refine precious metals, so our sufferings can refine our faith, can hone us and can lead us into greater things. As we've already seen, Peter's suffering built his faith and it led him on to do amazing things, and so can ours. Thirdly, God himself knows what it's like to suffer here on earth. God's solution to our suffering was to suffer himself. 
It's maybe easy for us to diminish Jesus' suffering because, well, he's God, isn't he? And it's all right for him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew why he was doing it. He knew how long it would last. He knew what the future held. And of course, to a certain extent, that's true, but it's only one side of the story. Remember that Jesus is God, but he was also fully human. If you're struggling to connect with God on the issue of suffering, I'd recommend you look at the Gospels and see how Jesus actually behaved in the run-up to his crucifixion and when he was on the cross, and actually why that moment may have even been worse for him because he was God, not just human. Before Jesus' arrest, he was clearly suffering deep mental torment. He asked God if he really had to go through with it, if he really had to go through with separation that he'd known. And when he was on the cross, we don't see a calm, defiant speech or a joyful tone. We see Jesus in anguish that God has forgotten him. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer and he was willing to go through that. Why? To give us the sure and certain hope of resurrection, to turn his agony into glory and to give us the assurance that our suffering isn't for nothing. Peter's suffering started ripples. It started ripples that led to the flood of the church sweeping across the world. And although you might not understand how, and on this world you may never understand how, you need to know that all your experiences, including your suffering, can be turned into something good and can be used by God to give him glory. We need to do that by being open with one another about both our failings and our sufferings. We need to be vulnerable with each other so we can encourage one another and learn from each other. That's what Peter did and that's what we need to do. C.S. Lewis summarized this really well. He said, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Bearing up under suffering and trusting that God can somehow use it for his benefit and his glory takes faith. It takes encouragement from others, but above all, it takes the power of repeated encounters with Jesus Christ and being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. With this truth, we can not just survive, we can triumph in the fire. Let's pray together, shall we? Thank you, Lord, that you know all about us. Thank you that you know our fears and our failings. You know the grief of our suffering. You know the cries of our heart in the dark hours. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you've poured yourself out for us. We thank you that in your mercy, you can take our grief and our pain and you can transform it into something different. We thank you that you can take even the darkest experience and, and use it for your glory. Lord, give us the faith that we need to see that. Help us to weep with those who weep. Help us to encourage one another to stand firm. And most of all, we pray you'd help us to prioritize repeated encounters with you, the risen Lord Jesus. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, so we may know you more, so we may bring you glory and be a blessing to others. And fill us afresh so that like Peter, we may triumph in the fire. Amen. God bless you.